Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast. This is a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray, and this is episode number 10. And today I'm joined by pastor and church planter, Eric Sorensen. Eric is the founder and the lead pastor of, of, excuse me, of Epiphany Lutheran Church in New York City. And in this stirring discussion, we focus on the ups and also the downs of church planting, and really the hard realities of just everyday ministry. Eric is extremely passionate about preaching both God's law and God's gospel to the people of Manhattan, and his goal is to reorient the way most people think about God and about religion. He hopes to open their eyes to the truth of God's desire for relationship, not mere formalism or religion. I think you'll be greatly encouraged by this conversation. So stay tuned. Today's show is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Offering an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, the CS Bible helps readers to make a deeper connection with God's Word and inspires a lifelong discipleship. The CSB is equally suited for serious study or sharing with your neighbor hearing God's Word for the very first time. Learn more at csbible.com. Now for Eric Sorensen. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yes. Now, besides just having a killer voice and a killer beard, can you introduce <laughs> Eric Sorensen to the rest of our listeners today? Uh, sure. Yeah, I'll try and sum up uh, who I am in a bit. Um, <laughs> I'm married to uh, Missy for uh, 13 years. Uh, we have three boys, Jude, John, and Lincoln, that are active, loud, and uh, full of energy. Um <laughs> We live in the middle of New York City. Actually, to be technically accurate, we live on the in uh, in Gramercy, which is on near the Lower East Side of New York City, uh, in Manhattan. And we are there to plant Epiphany Lutheran Church. We're just in the very beginning stages of it, but are planning on launching full worship services um, in 2017, right at the beginning of the year. And so we're just gathering people right now and um, and getting to the point where we get enough people joining up with us that we can we can actually start a church. Mm, that's awesome. Now, I was able to meet you at uh, Christ Old Fast Conference this past February uh, where you were emceeing. And I'm just how much fun was that, man? I just loved that that whole time. That was a great weekend. 
Oh, it's a blast. Uh, working alongside uh, Christ Hold Fast is, uh, is a gift for me because I'm working with great people. Um, you know, Dan Price is a great guy, um, you know, who is sort of the sort of, you know, for lack of a better uh, term, the founder of Christ Hold Fast initially. Um, but he's, he's a great guy. The contributors that he's got are great people. And so getting together all in one place under one roof when all of us are so scattered throughout the country, really even throughout the world in some cases, was truly a gift. And then to see it all come together, to see, uh, you know, 500 people come to hear the gospel mm -hmm. and the kinds of responses that we got, uh, it was it was amazing the mm -hmm. kinds of responses that we got that people were, you know, talking about how uh, sort of earth shattering uh, some of it was theologically for them, mm -hmm. uh, real life changing moments for them. It was, it was pretty, pretty amazing to see what God did with it. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And we just had our uh, first one day conference in New York city where we talked about the doctrine of vocation uh, and had a bunch of great speakers there too. And had, we even had a, you know, a Christian hip hop artist named Loso come in and perform for us. It was pretty rad. And, um, and then Christ told fast next day, next one day event is in October in Dallas. I don't know the date off the top of my head, but that's going to be great too. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, It's fun. It's a great thing to be a part of. Yeah. I just enjoy y'all's ministry and I'm just, I've been very benefited over the last couple years or months or however long it's been since everything has gotten started. So I've just, just big shout out to everyone there. Um, now you grew up in California. So how did. did you end up on this side of the country? <laughs> so I was, uh, I lived most of my life in Southern California, grew up for the most part in a city named Rancho Cucamonga, California, <laughs> wow. which, um, in most people on the East Coast uh, usually think that I'm making that up when I tell them that at first, but it's true. There is a place called Ranch Cucamonga, and it's actually a fairly uh, decent-sized city, you know, between 150 200,000 people. Uh, very suburban, very master-planned, you know, community. Anyhow, I grew up up there, was, uh, you know, raised, uh, eventually uh, came into the Christian faith out there. Every part of my life was there. Met my wife out there. Um, and we were there until about four years ago, uh, when a church in Staten Island connected to my denomination, the church of the Lutheran brethren, uh, gave me a call and said, Hey, you know, we're looking for a preacher and we saw a video of you, uh, preaching. Would you be willing <laughs> to consider preaching for us? Uh, and that kind of got the conversation started. And then within, a few months, I was I was actually accepting a call to take a church in Staten Island, pastored there for a few years, and then uh, accepted the call to plant a church. And so that experience is vastly different than established churches. I was a pastor for five and a half years in California before that, too. Mm -hmm. And both churches that I was in before were very established churches. So sure. Now, I, I just let's talk about that, too, because I wanted to is is. I love what you're doing with Epiphany uh, Lutheran Church in New York City. And just, yeah, just talk about that process of planting in church and, and, and kind of the vision behind uh, what Epiphany is. Yeah, boy, that's a, there's a lot to that. Um, well, first of all, why, why plant a church in the middle of a, a huge city like that? 
Um, for me, it's been an obvious, um, an obvious issue that the gospel is not getting out to nearly enough people in America. Mm-hmm. That even though our communities might be saturated with church buildings, um, that that is no guarantee that the true gospel is being preached in those churches. And, and that is not, I mean, I think when I say that people assume that I'm sort of knocking liberals, you know, that I'm knocking mainline liberals. And actually I'm thinking more about a lot of conservative evangelical Mm -hmm. churches. Um, The gospel as I, you know, i.e. Jesus really did pay it all, really did win everything for you and really did take away your sins. Um, that just that message doesn't fly for very long or for very often in a lot of churches. And, uh, you know, it's you just know it's coming when you're going to get the to do list and you're going to start having to prove that you really are worthy of that salvation, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, so anyhow, I, we need to plant churches, period, because there's not nearly enough churches that are preaching the gospel. Yeah. We need to plant churches in cities because cities are growing so fast in America and so many people are moving there that we don't have enough churches to meet the need for those people. Um, and so those two, those two um, factors are what led me to... Um, be so passionate about starting a new church in uh, Manhattan. We want to, we're a church that exists really for others. We're not, we're set up from the very beginning to be a church that is looking to go out to, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, the lost or the non-Christian. Because we think that, and I, and I have lots of anecdotal data to back this up. We think that the vast majority of people that are rejecting Christianity are not actually rejecting Christianity, but a form of Christianity that was sold to them in their upbringing. Mm-hmm. We think that they're rejecting what they see on news, what they see in culture, what they hear in media, but they're not rejecting uh, Jesus paid it all. Uh, they're not rejecting Jesus empowers you. Uh, for new life. They're not, they're not rejecting like the gospel. They're rejecting a caricature and an unfortunate, um, an unfortunate and, and uh, I think very uh, damning uh, gospel out yes. there. So, so we think that, that when people do hear the real gospel, that they'll find themselves wanting to believe it. Oh, I agree with that. Totally. I think a lot of what people I think you it's few and far between where you're going to find someone that just outright denies Jesus Christ just because of Jesus Christ. It's because they've been sold a false representation of who Jesus Christ was and is for them. And I yeah. think that's, it's, it's sad. It's sad in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Tim Keller, who, whose uh, organization Redeemer city to city I'm in partnership with in, in mm-hmm. New York. Um, they're really train. They've been training me for the last year and they will continue to do so. Um, anyhow, Tim Keller has got this great line where he says to people, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. Chances are, I don't believe in him either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> and, and I really do, when you really start scratching the surface, which is, I mean, this is where we really kind of get into the process of church planning. Like what I do is spend my days 
for the most part, talking to people on the streets of New York, trying to invite them into Epiphany Lutheran. So that means I'm having raw, real conversation all the time. Mm-hmm. When I have these conversations and you scratch beneath the surface of what people think the church is, what people, who, who, who people think God is, almost everybody has a wrong idea. Almost everybody. Mm-hmm. Almost no one has like, this is the doctrinally orthodox view, and I have heard it, and I have received it, and I have said, no, I don't like it. Yeah. it is, they have, everybody's got it messed up, man. Yeah. Uh, shame on the church, and, I'm, and I repent myself. Because we've had plenty of opportunity, bro. I mean, we've had <laughs> hundreds of years in the seat of uh, power in this country where we we had every bit of opportunity to preach the gospel clearly. And um, we decided to give people five steps to improve their financial fitness instead <laughs> of giving them Jesus. Exactly. And I think that's why when the Bible talks about judgment and justice, it talks about Jesus coming to the church first because – We've done a very pitiful job of representing what religion, true religion is, which is just a relationship with Jesus who has paid it all and not you have to do such and such and such in order to get in or whatever. Um, yeah, and, and yet, like, the, the difficulty is every time you say that, that you say, no, no, it really is finished and Jesus meant what he said, that always the fear of antinomianism comes up. <laughs> uh, you know, and this is, by the way, this is the exact same fear that Rome had with Luther and with the reformers that if you, if you tell people it's really all done, it's going to unleash the devils, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But here, but it's the exact opposite thing, you know? I mean, the exact opposite thing, like when, when people really know they're free, when people really know it doesn't depend on them, to save themselves or to save the world. Well, it turns out that they actually end up becoming little Christs to the world. They end up becoming lovers of the world and lovers of their neighbor in very tangible ways. Instead of constantly being uh, turned inward on themselves to determine whether they're spiritually strong enough today or whether they really deserve the mercy of God today, or, (laughs) you know, like they're not free because they're navel gazing. Um, so it's far from producing antinomianism. It actually produces wonderful obedience. That's so true. That's so true. Now, um, planting a church in the heart of New York City, what has what has sort of been the biggest challenge so far for you? Um, and, you know, going out on the streets and just talking to people just very, you know, as you said, very rawly, like what, what kind of has been the biggest challenge for you so far? Mm. You know, I think the lack of stability – is uh, is the biggest challenge. I think if anybody's ever thought about planting a church or ever saw it as sort of um, as sort of a sexy option, um, one thing that everyone should know if they're thinking about doing that is there is such a lack of stability that you have to learn to live with in your gut. Mm-hmm. Um, one day it will look like the church is financially strong and that you're reaching a great number of people. And all of these people, a lot of them are saying like they're totally into what you're doing and they love your idea. They love your church. Uh, And the next day you're wondering how you're going to pay the bills. And those people that are lovers of your church, they might indeed love it, but they can't 
be there and their mm-hmm. commitment level is not there for whatever reason. And I, I would just say, I mean, that's probably for me, that's been the biggest struggle is a lack of stability because I came from two established churches that were pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. And so you always knew there was going to be some, you always knew the money was there in savings and you always knew that, you know, you were going to have enough people to get ministries done, enough volunteers and that sort of thing. And when you're a church planner, initially you're kind of, you're kind of figuring it out as you go. <laughs> yeah. Making it up as you go along. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you can, you, there's a lot of great tools out there. Like I mentioned Redeemer city to city and, um, and other, there's other tools out there to help a lot of good resources, but, but still in the final analysis, like, um, you know, the, it's kind of on you, you know, as a pastor, as the church planner. Um, and that's, and that's very, it's very easy to then fall into the temptation of putting all the pressure on your own shoulders mm. instead of praying and trusting that it's on Jesus's shoulders, like everything else. Mm. Uh, very easy to find your identity in your success or failure as a church planner. Um, and to, so, you know, I've jokingly told my wife, there's not, not really any such thing as manic depression. There's just church planting <laughs> yeah. because there's, the, the, there's the high and the low and the high and the low. And that's a, that's a constant thing. Mm. And so you gotta, you, you really gotta protect against finding your identity, rooting your identity in your success or failure as a church planner. Uh, I think a church planter, at least for me, I've had to be able to say, if this fails and it could fail, if this fails, I am still just as valuable then as I am now, mm-hmm. no matter what, because my value is not found in what I accomplished. My value is found in Christ, what he's done for me. Um, so I have to, but I had to preach that to myself because my nature is telling me like, it's all on you, buddy. <laughs> you take care of business, bro. You know, <laughs> that's me too, man. Yeah. yeah, the old Adam is all about taking control, man. The old the flesh yeah. loves to pretend like he's the man. Which sort of goes back to what we were just talking about, which is why people freak out and say you're antinomianism because you're antinomian because the whole idea of the gospel and of grace just takes all control out of your hands. And yeah. people don't like that. They don't they don't like it when they don't have control over their own destiny. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what grace does. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh I've compared church planting a lot of the time. Uh, the the best ex- the the best passages I can think of for what my experience has been uh, has been number one, uh, Psalm one twenty seven one. I'll often reference that in my posts about Epiphany on Facebook and social media. Uh, and it's it's very simple. You know, it says, "Unless the Lord builds the house, the builder labors in vain." I need to constantly remember that that God is the one who's going to be doing the building, mm-hmm. but. But the experience of it, although not as dramatic, it's similar, uh, is Peter being called to step out of the boat onto the water as Jesus walks up. There's a sense in which you're just 
you're every day you're getting uh you're getting out believing that because jesus is with you you can do stuff that you the really shouldn't be able to do us in our messy and ministries i'm your host brad looking Ray, at of him course, and like this is episode amazingly you are actually doing it show, like you're really you're doing thrilled it. to mm-hmm. be joined like, by church is Bill being built Bill that happen? music yeah. pastor at happening? soul thirst church you know i mean this last colony at our and throughout this uh, we have a weekly we Bible study. It's sort of just different our, things, including our way of collecting people and gathering together to start something. And the spiritual and, uh, experience you know, we had, of really in, my, in the Bible study, we also share I've been our praying for, for non-Christians to join us for leader. a while. And Bill also um, shares the story behind his newest album. It's really it's happening. And last week, I, I mean, artist. we have a Muslim, a shamanist, a Hindu, and Bill a Jew. Also shares, and then you know a bunch of other Christians, and everybody's sitting around hearing the gospel together. You can find on think about website. that: a Muslim, a Hindu, a Jew, and a shamanist. Who's a shamanist anymore? Music. Um, I think, but you, will you know that, like this was today's show, as you know, is brought to when you, you by the Christian Standard Bible. Something like that. You Offering see that, that makeup in a room. You go, and readability. Oh yeah, I'm working on readers to make a deeper connection with God's word. Like God's doing a lifelong discipleship. The CSP and when I is equally that, suited when for I, serious study and, or sharing you know, with your neighbor hearing God's word for the very first time. time. Learn more well, at csbible.com. Now, was church, now, for Bill I, I think I, am, I know the answer to this, but was church planting always the goal? And now or, a quick break or, for a word from my partner's sort of ministry, a little bit about this, but How did you come to know that now, back I'm, to Bill. I'm called to plant a church in New York City? And thanks again to it's Bill a tough for process for me because on the today. one hand I always sure had a love for the Twitter city and I always had a heart for church planting. That was always there you can from find all those even in the, the days of uh, and that's it for uh, today's episode of Ministry Minded. Like I had a, thanks so much a heart for to go staying east. with me and for listening. To, if you like what uh, you just heard and would like to hear more episodes like this, be sure to follow the show on Twitter. You can also subscribe in iTunes and you can also follow along on SoundCloud. If you really like what you just heard, you can do me a really good favor. Leave me a short. Review or comment. Uh, it, That'll go a long a way for me way to continue making shows like this happen. Hard when Thanks again to CSP for pro- sponsoring the show. This and thank you, as always, for listening and commenting to and think about leaving that church. I'll see you it on the next really episode. So, so on the one hand, yes, there was always a desire to be in the city and a planet church. On the other hand, there was not a desire to leave what we knew and who we loved. Uh, it was so, it was super hard to to be ripped away from, from them. Um, and, and yet, you know, you do some praying and some soul searching and some discussion with wise counselors and with your spouse. And at the end of the day, you go, I think this is what God has equipped me for. And now's the time, you know, he doesn't call when we feel it's most convenient or comfortable. Like he gives you the opportunity and then you, you go, you know, so, so that's kind of what led up to, uh, to my decision to leave where I was at, to go to New York city. But it was, I didn't have it. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't a premeditated thing in my, like I wasn't always striving to get there. It mm-hmm. just got arranged the pieces in such a way. Sure. Sure. Now growing up in uh, California, well, let me ask you, I may ask you this way. Have you always been in the uh, Lutheran denomination? No, I was raised um, somewhat sporadically. My parents were kind of brought into the, the church through the Jesus People movement, uh, Calvary Chapel, Vineyard churches. I was raised going primarily to kind of Vineyard and Calvary Chapel churches, but not 
too often. Uh, so it's kind of novel. Uh, when I was a you know junior high kid, I basically opted out of church with my parents. I didn't like it. I felt uncomfortable. You know, felt it was weird, etc. And so for a few years, I didn't really attend any church. And then I was in, invited to a, a youth group at a Lutheran church, and uh, got. Uh, immediately plugged in there and felt much more at home there uh, than I had ever felt at Calvary Chapel or Vineyard. And um, now that that said, that was my experience. Most of my good friends in California are are for the most part still plugged into Calvary Chapel or Vineyard. But um, so I have no, I, I have no issue with those churches per se, but for me with, uh, when I came into a Lutheran church, there was an honesty, there was a re- realism there uh, about our sin, about our struggles, about real life that was very appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I felt like a sinner like me could could actually be a part of this this group of people because they were all open and honest about their struggles, and mm-hmm. that made me feel like there was a home for me. So that's that's initially what got me into Lutheranism. That's a, a long story but uh you know and then i wrestled through it for quite a while i almost went uh, reformed I, I actually michael horton won't probably wouldn't remember this probably but i sat down with him um because i was this close to going to westminster seminary in california and i asked him uh being that i was in a lutheran denomination um should i go lutheran or should i go reformed and um, and he said, well, you know, we're basically like this. And he crossed his fingers, you know, like we're that close. He said, we're really close on a bunch of stuff. He said, what you really need to do is you need to really take some time to analyze your view of the sacraments and your view of Christology. And if you get that stuff kind of down in your head, then you'll know the direction you want to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was great advice. And I mean, uh, I'm really thankful to him for telling me that because that really is, I think, where like if there's differences, that's where the differences lie between a reform view and a Lutheran view. And um, and so I came down on the Lutheran side of things, and that's why I ended up where I am. That's awesome. Now, I was I was sort of raised like independent Baptist, so to speak, and I think I've just had such a awakening, if you want to use that colloquial term, just immersing myself in sort of Lutheran theology, just not not saying I'm defecting or anything, but <laughs> just saying that it's just been refreshing for me. And just it's, I think it's helped me so much just getting to know guys like you and, and getting to know uh, other authors out there that I had never even known existed before. And it's just, that's why I'm just really appreciative of, of Christ holds fast and the ministry there just because of, what they've done for guys like me <laughs> um, just kind of freeing me, like you said, with the honesty and the Christology, which is something that I think is lacking in a lot of places. Mm. Well, that's awesome to hear, man. I think um, we, we hear that uh, pretty regularly. And um, even for, and even to people like, I think for, for, we don't even have all Lutheran contributors for Christ Soul Fest. There's a lot of Presbyterians and uh, Baptists, et cetera that contribute there too. Um, so the goal is not really to make people, you know, Lutheran, um, much to the chagrin of some, there are some Lutherans that are, that don't like that fact at all. Um, but our goal really is just to root people in the gospel. That's right. And if we can root people in the gospel, 
then, you know, obviously our Lutheran roots are going to show, you know, and we're going to talk about that because the gospel is related to our Lutheran roots. Mm -hmm. uh, and so people will be exposed to it. And some people will say, this is interesting and I want more. And some people will go, uh, bro, you, you know, this whole sacramental thing is a little cray cray for me, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm with you on the gospel or whatever, you know, and that's fine. You know, like we can, we can, we can be, we can still be friends. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Look at, we're talking right now. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, now what is, I like to ask this question just because you've been in ministry for a while. You've been in a couple different gigs as far as vocational ministry goes. What is, you know, one thing you know now about the ministry that you wish you would have known when you were a younger guy in the ministry? Oh man. You know, I think, I think I would, I'm still learning the answer to that. I, I think when I work, first started off, I mean, I was 29 when I received my first call in the pastoral ministry as a senior soul pastor of a church of about 150 people. Um, that and it was my home. It was my home church, the church that I had um, really come to know Christ in uh, as a teenager. And they called me as a 29-year-old man to pastor them, at that time married with two very little children. And I think I was very, as a young man, very prone to wanting to prove my worth and my value, to prove that in spite of my youth, I could do it. Mm -hmm. And what that manifested in is insecurity. Um, in conversations and that sort of thing. Like I couldn't take, it was very hard to take any criticism, very hard to take any criticism of the church. If somebody said something about the church, then they were saying something about me, you know, it was, and so I take things personally and it manifested itself in a certain workaholism. Mm. So for my first five and a half years of ministry, I didn't realize it, but, um, I certainly would be burned out today if I hadn't um, stopped the pace I was at. But that's what, that's what the, I mean, that's what living under law does, by the way. I mean, that, that is, I mean, it is living under the law because you're trying to prove yourself. And so you just, you, you just keep running, you run, 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 run. And eventually you burn out. Um, yep. <laughs> you, you can't keep doing it forever. And so I think I would, if I could counsel like younger pastors, um, I'd say you don't have to prove yourself. Um, be faithful with the gifts that God has given you. And then on the practical side of ministry, I would say this to any younger pastor who's getting into ministry, and I'm telling you this is just true. It just is, and yet it goes against a lot of what we want, It, but it's true. What your people that you serve will remember is you taking the time to be with them. They will, they will remember next to none of your sermons. And I know it sucks, man. I mean, because we spend a lot of time crafting a sermon and we want to be great preachers and we do. And that's a good thing. The reality is they'll probably remember the story that you told about your dog in that <laughs> sermon. And that's about it a lot of the time. But they'll, they will love you when you have taken the time to be with them. And so the most effective ministry you can do as a pastor, whether you're an amazing preacher or not, it doesn't matter. Most effective ministry you can do is to love people, be with them, 
visit them in the hospital, visit their families. You don't have to be in this. You don't have to be good at it. You just have to be there. You don't have to be good. No one's good at it. Everyone sucks at this, by the way. No one knows what they're doing. But if you're there and you're just like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, but I, I just want you to know I love you and I'm here and I'll pray with you. It means the world to people. And I think for a lot of young pastors, we want to build and we want to build and we have vision and we want to preach. I mean, I'm still there, man. I'm a church planner. I'm not visiting anybody in a hospital right now. But but I have done that. And what I've seen um, is that that is the most, that's the thing people remember. Mm. I think it comes back to what Robert Capon always harps on in his in his books on the parables, which is, you know, remembering that you're least lost and little and you're called to go to those very same people. And yeah. I think that's where the ministry happens is remembering that you're you're the least of anyone. You're little and you're pretty much nothing, but God has done something amazing through you. And then you can do something amazing through other people because God God's at work in you and through yeah. you. And I that's that's what's cool. I like hearing stories like that. And yeah, that's just awesome. Um, my, my nature was was certainly not that when I started the ministry. So my nature was, I thought if I just preached uh, good enough, uh, taught doctrinally sound Bible studies enough that people, number one, would sin less, mm. which is not true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and number two, that uh, that it would, you know, grow a church, a strong church, a healthy church. And, you know, really, I didn't need to be there for, you know, the, the small stuff, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah, so. I, I can speak to that, too, just because when, you know, I'm still a young guy. But when I had my first ministry position, it was all about I wanted exactly what you said. I want to prove my worth and impress people with my rhetoric and how good I was at speaking and communicating and Look at how many guys I'm quoting, and look at how that means I'm reading a lot. So I'm I'm studying, and look look at me. And so I can speak to that. It's it's so tempting to do that yeah. as a young guy to want to prove yourself to the masses, so to speak. Yeah, and as a young guy, people are. I mean, it is true. Like the odds can be kind of stacked against you. You know, I mean, at, at first, depending on the church context you're in. Um, if you're in a church that has a good number of older folks, they might be looking at you with a side eye going, eh, what are you trying to do? <laughs> so it's very natural to want to defend yourself and to want to, you know, prove your, your worth. Um, but it's the faith, it's the faithfulness in the, in the quote unquote small stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's actually really the big stuff. Sure. Now I was kind of saving this till now, even though you touched on it earlier, but, um, the Christall Fast First City event was in New York, and uh, you were, guys were talking about the, um, the uh, different vocations, and and I just loved that whole thing. I didn't, I wasn't able to attend, but uh, I was. I've been listening to some of the talks, and uh, can you just summarize that whole event for me, really quick, if you can? Yeah, we had um, the whole. The theme of the day was vocation, and we invited. Uh, six different speakers to give basically like short talks, TED talk type presentations, and then one final speaker, Matt Popovitz, to give a little longer talk to sum up the day. Uh, so uh, those six speakers were David Kim from Redeemer um, Presbyterian Church. That's the church that Tim Keller is pastor of. He's the pastor of Faith and Work for the Center for Faith and Work at uh, Redeemer. Uh, Jessica Thompson spoke about the vocation of motherhood and um, of being a wife. 
Uh, Scott Keith talked about the vocation of fatherhood and uh, being a husband. Kurt Winrich talked about the vocation of business. Loso talked about the vocation of artist, and I talked about, about the vocation of uh, church member. And then Matt sort of summed it up. And uh, and after all those uh, individual talks were done, then we'd have panel discussions where people could just get up and ask questions. And the feedback you always hear from these kinds of events is that the panels are everybody's favorite. Everybody loves the panels. Uh, and I think that was true this time too. Um, the panels when they're released, I think will be very fruitful for people and very helpful. But everybody just knocked it out of the park, man. Everybody did a great job. Um, and I think it was very clear. Everybody knew what they were to do, there to do. And everybody had a clear understanding of why vocation was so significant, especially in our time and place now. Sure. And I just think that whole theme of, of an event like that is so significant for a lot of Christians, yes. But I think it's also significant, as I was saying earlier, for young guys especially, just because knowing that you don't have to sort of seek out a ministry, so to speak, right now, but you are in it right where you are. And I think, you know, a lot of guys, they don't realize that they want to go out and they want to make a platform, make a name and have some sort of quote unquote ministry. But they forget that they're in one right now being a good son or being a good brother or being a good public grocery bagger or whatever they're doing. And I think knowing that it frees you to a lot of things. And I think that's why reminding that people of that is so important. Yeah. If people don't have that, then it's very easy to feel like everything you do in life is fairly futile mm -hmm. because we live in the mundane. Even, even those of us who are living in uh, exciting places like New York city, uh, the reality is the day to day is still mundane. You still have the same kinds of responsibilities. You still have to pick up kids from school and go grocery shopping and do all that stuff. And if you don't have a good doctrine of vocation, then where God is actually in that, that he's in the mundane, that you are just his mask and that he's working through you in every aspect of life, then, yeah, you're just going to get you're going to get pretty tired. You're going to start wondering, like, what am I here for? And pretty soon you're going to start quoting Sartre and become very depressed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But really, I think it, I, I think uh, Tozer talks about this in his book, The Pursuit of God. Just we we have this sort of idea of a secular world and a sacred world, and we have to young guys who are feel like they're called to ministry feel like they have to get to that sec that sacred world immediately, and they forget that you know there's a process to things, and th the sacred is all around them. It's not something they have to get to or ascribe to. Yeah. And, and sometimes our language contributes to this. I mean, in, I've, I've had quite a few discussions with Dan Price and, and others about this, that, for example, in the Lutheran tradition, we talk about the office of the holy ministry. Hmm. And, that's a, and that's all right and good. That's fair to call pastoring, you know, an office. And is it holy? Yes. Is it a ministry? Yes. But the impression that's given is that every other office in the world is not holy ministry. Yeah. And, and so it gives this idea, uh, I think, unwittingly, but I think it gives this idea that uh, the, the, it, it brings up that division that, that was in the church before the Reformation, that we don't want to, to be there, which says, like, well, there's a few of us that are in the real sacred calling. 
but the rest of you are doing what you need to do to get by. So you're in the menial calling. <laughs> yeah. We, we just don't want that. We want everybody to see that like, you know, as Luther would have said, uh, milking cows is just as sacred as, as anything that a, a preacher could do. That's right. Amen to that. And just sort of as we, uh, as we close up shop here, um, as I mentioned in the introduction, the, the Majesty's Man as a, as a site, it's really just a collective of young guys that just love Jesus and want to share Jesus with other young guys. And so um, if you were allowed to, or if you had an audience of young men and you were only allowed to say one thing to them, what would that one thing be? The audience of young men. Boy, you know, that's, I did have an audience of young men not that long ago. And, um, you know, to some extent, my answer is always the same. Like, I I always want to root them in Jesus. I always want to root them in the finished work of Christ. And I always want to think through that prism. When I had the, the audience of young men that I had with me the last time, um, it was specific. I was talking about the problems that young men face in our culture today, which is the problems of sort of permanent adolescence, uh, not knowing how to grow up, not knowing how to become a man, that kind of thing. Um, that's all, that's all fine and good. But if I, like, if that's a theme I was asked to speak on, if I had to like pick something, I think I would tell young, young guys, uh, Work, work hard, um, be faithful, but don't, don't find your identity in any of that. Mm. Always find your identity in uh, who Christ is for you. Root your identity in what Jesus has done for you. It, at least for me, when I think about being a young, young guy, and it's weird even to think that I'm not that anymore, but it's just true. I'm not that anymore. Um, I think I was prone to sort of wanting to find my identity in what I did and what I accomplished. And those things are super good. They're important, but they're not who you are. You're, who you are is wrapped up in what Jesus says about you. And with that as your sort of foundation, you can go out and work really hard for the world. You can go do a bunch of really great stuff. Uh, you can develop that app or you can develop that software and you can, you know, you can do what, uh, you know, you've been trained to do, but it's not, you don't have to be amazing at it. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be a millionaire. You don't have to conquer the world. Uh, there seems to be, especially amongst younger folks, and I don't think it's the younger folks' fault. I think it's the previous generation. There's this expectation built up in them that if they don't have big accomplishments like that, that they've sort of wasted their life. Hmm. Uh, and that's just not true. It's just not true. Um, the Bible is pretty pretty clear that uh, a life lived faithfully, um, even in the smallest sense of that word, is vastly superior than a life lived with fame and wealth and fortune unfaithfully. That's correct. That's correct. That's so good. 
Well, I appreciate you coming on, Eric. I know you got to get going, got a big drive ahead of you. Um, but thanks for coming on. I thank, thank you so much for making time for me this morning, and it was a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for having me on, Brad. I'm glad I could do it. All right. Have a good one, Eric. All right. You too. And thanks again to Eric for taking the time to come on the show today and share his passion for the gospel. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and keep up with the news of his church at epiphanylutheranNYC.com. You can find those links in the show notes. And that's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. Thanks so much for staying with me and for listening. If you like what you just heard and would like to hear more episodes like this, be sure and follow the show on Twitter. And also you can subscribe to the show in iTunes and on SoundCloud. And if you really like what you just heard, you can do me a really big favor and leave me a short review or a comment. That'll go a long way for me to continue making shows like this happen. Thanks again to CSB for sponsoring the show, and thank you, as always, for listening and for commenting and subscribing. I'll see you on the next episode.